Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith, coming to you from Colorado Springs. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Warren and I bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, the Christian Ministry Samaritan's Purse opens a hospital in Central Park to aid with the crisis there, but LGBTQ activists are not happy about it, proving the old saying that no good deed goes unpunished. Also on today's program, we look at the recently passed CARES Act, the $2.2 trillion relief package, and what's in it for churches and Christian ministries. All that and a whole lot more on today's edition of the Ministry Watch podcast. We begin today with the story of a Florida pastor who was arrested on Monday after he refused to stop holding worship services at his church, despite the regulations banning large in-person gatherings that could further the spread of the novel coronavirus. Yeah, for weeks, Pastor Rodney Howard Brown of the River at Tampa Bay Church has defied local regulations designed to stop the spread of the disease, which has now killed more than 5,000 people in the United States and infected more than a quarter million, uh, including tens of thousands in Florida. But Rodney Howard Brown said, I've got news for you. This church will never close. The only time the church will close is when the rapture is taking place. And he added, the Bible school is open because we're raising revivalists, not pansies. But on Sunday night, after Howard Brown reportedly gathered between 400 and 500 people, the Hillsborough County Sheriff, Chad Crossner, issued a warrant for the pastor's arrest. Yeah, uh, Crossner accused Howard Brown of intentionally and repeatedly choosing to disregard the orders set in place by our president, our governor, and the CDC, and local officials that bar gatherings of more than 10 people. And Crossner added, uh, Howard Brown's reckless disregard for human life put hundreds of people in his congregation at risk and thousands of residents who may interact with them this week in danger. Now, Howard Brown did turn himself in on Monday afternoon and was charged with unlawful assembly and violation of public health emergency rules. Both are misdemeanors. And Warren, you've been following this preacher for a few years, haven't you? Well, I have. Uh, he's been on my radar screen since the 1990s, which was 20 years ago, when he was part of the Brownsville revival uh, of the late 1990s. The Christian Research Institute, uh, which is a group that I look to a lot whenever I want to evaluate the theology and other practices of of uh, sort of fringe groups, uh, labeled um, Howard Brown a cult and uh, called him a good stage hypnotist who has made uh, millions of dollars from vulnerable believers. In the recent COVID-19 outbreak, he even suggested that uh, God would multiply the toilet paper rolls of his congregation. So Rodney Howard Brown's beliefs are very strange, to say the least. 
But doesn't he have a point? Shouldn't people be allowed to worship as they choose? Well, they should. We should. Uh, and Ministry Watch does stand strongly for the First Amendment, which includes the free exercise of religion, the right to assemble, and free speech. I mean, these are all freedoms that are at uh, play here or in controversy here. But none of these freedoms are unlimited. Uh, you know, I reached out to my friend Eric Niffen, who used to be with the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. That's the group that took the Hobby Lobby case all the way to the Supreme Court. Eric now represents Christian ministries and others from a private practice in Colorado Springs, which is where you are, Natasha, one of the epicenters for Christian ministry in this country. So he's a guy who also takes the First Amendment pretty seriously, but he told me that while Americans should be vigilant about protecting their constitutional rights, especially in times of difficulty or crisis where the government can overstep its boundaries, at the same time, Eric told me, citizens must also realize that religious rights are not without limit. He went on to say that under normal circumstances, of course the government cannot restrict people from gathering for prayer. But if the government can prove that it has applied the law neutrally to both secular and religious gatherings alike, then the government has a strong case that such a restriction could in fact withstand a constitutional challenge. So what happens to Rodney Howard Brown? Well, late in the week, uh, the governor of Florida issued an order um, that even more severely restricted movement and gatherings in the state of Florida, but it also exempted churches. Uh, so you would think that that might give Rodney Howard Brown a leg to stand on, and it might. However, the order did come after Rodney Howard Brown was arrested, so his case is likely to move forward through the courts. I should reiterate, though, that both charges against Rodney Howard Brown are misdemeanors, and it's likely that the small fine he would receive is going to be much less than the donations and the publicity he's already receiving. And I know that you'll be keeping an eye on that story. And another story that has been developing this week has been the $2.2 trillion relief package that President Trump signed. What can you tell us about it? Well, the CARES Act, the Corona Relief Act, has made its way to the Oval Office. It did that last Friday afternoon. Donald Trump signed it. It's the single largest relief package in American history. And it does include provisions that relate to churches and nonprofit organizations. Perhaps the biggest impact for religious nonprofits will come from uh, one portion of that $2.2 trillion. It's a $350 billion package available in government-backed loans uh, under the bill's payroll protection program. Uh, the loan works uh, kind of like a, a grant. All or part of the loan can be forgiven uh, if the requirements are met. So churches and nonprofits that were operational before February 15th of 2020, which is almost all of us, and have fewer than 500 employees can apply for a loan to the Small Business Administration to cover uh, payroll. And if they actually use it for payroll, that loan will be forgiven. So that's $350 billion in total. But how much of that can a single organization get? Yeah, that's going to have to be spread out through the entire country. Uh, so applicants can receive or at least can apply for up to two and a half times their average monthly payroll, uh, as long as that doesn't exceed $10 million. Uh, they get the money, as I said, as a loan, 
But after eight weeks, whatever portion of the money is actually spent on covering payroll, in other words, paying your employees, uh, mortgage, interest, rent, uh, utilities, and other overheads, that uh, costs that are identified in the bill, uh, those costs will be completely forgiven. It's a way for organizations to keep paying their employees, even if they have to send those employees home for the next couple of months. Well, that sounds pretty good. And it could be a lifesaver for a lot of Christian ministries. But government money seems to usually have strings attached. So what about this money? Yeah, I was very concerned about that question, too. Uh, so uh, Christina Darnell, the reporter who wrote this story for us, uh, reached out to folks who we could trust to get their thoughts. One of those is John Stenberger. He's the president of the Florida Family Policy Council. He's been a longtime go-to guy for me whenever I'm concerned about these issues. And he said that uh, this is an opportunity for churches to receive aid in the midst of a disaster. And um, he emphasized that it's not a permanent flow of money. He said they're not asking churches to become reliant on government money. It's a one-time assistance in an unprecedented environment. He said to leave religious nonprofits out of the proposal would have been discriminatory. So he is actually in favor of nonprofits taking the money. So is Travis Wassow. He is with the Southern Baptist Convention's Ethics and Public Policy Center. And he said that as the bill reads according to him, and by the way, I've interviewed Travis. I know him. He's a lawyer. He says that it doesn't feel like that there's any strings attached. And finally, I went to Marvin Alasky. I've written a book with Marvin Alasky called Prodigal Press. I trust Marvin impeccably, and he has a very strong apprehension about these kinds of things. Uh, But he says that he thinks that it would be fine for churches to receive this money. Uh, But he said pastors and lawyers should read the fine print. This is something Marvin said that I thought bears repeating. We sing, blessed be the tie that binds, but government ties have a way not just of binding us, but strangling us. So he said to be careful. Now, Warren, we have to take a break, but later in the program, Samaritan's Purse has erected a hospital in Central Park at its own expense to help with the COVID-19 crisis, but the LGBTQ activists are not happy about it. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs. And I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we'll be back after the short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Weekly Podcast. Up next is a story of another ministry leader who has to resign because of a moral issue. 
Yeah, the Reverend Molly Marshall has stepped down as president of Central Baptist Theological Seminary due to what they're calling unspecified ethical lapses. That was from a statement uh, issued by the seminary. The resignation is kind of a big deal because Marshall has been a hero to those on the so-called evangelical left for many years. Uh, Central Baptist Theological Seminary is affiliated with the American Baptist Church, which claims to have about a million members in more than 5,000 congregations in this country. And I understand that Molly Marshall has performed something of a miracle at the seminary. Yeah, when she took over in 2004, uh, the seminary only had 78 students. Uh, It now has more than 500 students. In fact, when Marshall took over, almost no one expected her to succeed. One board member, in fact, joked, we had flipped her the keys to the Titanic. So do we know what happened? Well, we don't know what happened, except to say that we see this sort of situation a lot, I'm sad to say. A leader rises uh, in an organization and often in the public eye nationally because of some tremendous competence. And clearly, uh, Molly Marshall does have tremendous confidence in the way that she's been able to rebuild that seminary. But then they experience a fall because of some character issue. And I think that's why it's so important that we pay attention to these situations and we pay attention to the transparency and accountability systems that should be a part of all organizations for their leaders. Transparency and accountability not only protect donors, but they also protect the leaders themselves uh, from being put in situations where they might be tempted to have these kinds of so-called ethical lapses that have apparently brought down Molly Marshall. Warren, I know that a lot of our listeners have had their travel plans disrupted over the past couple months, and that's been quite an inconvenience. But for Israel, travel disruption has been devastating. Yeah, much more than an inconvenience. You're quite right. Uh, Tourism is a huge part of the Israeli economy. I know I've been to Israel twice, and I went during the off-season and found that many of the holy sites were just packed. Uh, But this is, in fact, the peak season, and the Israeli government has instituted a near-complete COVID-19 lockdown that includes the closure of all houses of worship and all of the holy places that people like to visit when they're there. The directive permits 10 worshipers only to pray outdoors, provided they stand at least six feet apart. This directive is just the latest move that has all but shut down tourism in Israel. Now, you said that this was peak season. I assume it's because of Easter? Yeah, Easter is normally a really busy time of year for Christians touring the Holy Land, and and of course, Christmas would be the other time. Uh, But as I mentioned, hotels and holy sites are all but deserted right now. No one is permitted, for example, to enter the city of Bethlehem at all, which is right adjacent to Jerusalem, and um, almost no one is permitted to leave. Now, another impact of the coronavirus has been that churches um, not only are suspending services, but many of them are delaying or suspending funerals. Yeah, I think that's in some ways uh, one of the um, more tragic and kind of less reported on consequences of uh, this crisis, that a lot of times, you know, events that 
you know, like funerals and weddings would be another. And even for that matter, the births of children. These are events that normally bring families together, um, are forcing families to celebrate or in some cases uh, memorialize in near isolation, which can be a really tough for families that, you know, do want to celebrate or in the case of funerals, want to grieve together. Uh, however, last month, the Massachusetts Council of Churches released guidelines for Christian communities wanting to hold funerals amidst the epidemic. The uh, guidelines, which um, were also reviewed by health officials, outline a number of recommendations, such as planning funerals remotely, working with bereaved people to make a list of 10 folks that could feasibly attend uh, live and then live stream the services for everybody else. Uh, They've cautioned against in-person events. I know, for example, Natasha, I had a friend that I've known for 40 years. He passed away a couple of weeks ago, and they we've just simply delayed a memorial service for him until the summer. Um, so uh, it's going to be really tough uh, to uh, kind of, you know, participate in, in these kinds of remembrances uh, for at least the next couple of months. And I should mention, by the way, that we've got a link to these guidelines at the Ministry Watch website. We talked last week about churches using drive-up theaters to hold church services, but you found a church in Alaska that took the idea another step. Yeah, they did. It's a church in Unalakleet, Alaska, which is on the far western coast of Alaska, right on the Bering Sea. Believe it or not, Natasha, I've been to Unalakleet. It's a cool place, but man, is it ever remote. In this time of year, it's cold and snowy. They held a drive-in service uh, in a little bit of a different way. They First of all, it was in a driving snowstorm last Sunday. The pastor stood up on a huge mound of snow and um, preached not into a loudspeaker, but into a little transmitter, a little FM transmitter. The congregation came into the parking lot, stayed in the relative comfort of their cars, and tuned into him on their FM radios, which they could pick up for a couple hundred yards from that little transmitter. Um, you should do yourself a favor and check out some of the folks photos. Uh, they're really kind of cool of this pastor just <laughs> standing on this uh, mound of snow in a driving snowstorm. Uh, just go to ministrywatch.com and type Alaska into the search engine, and that story will pop right up. And by the way, these uh, photos will convince you that Alaskans are indeed a hearty folk, and that those of us who don't have to deal with that sort of adversity really do have a whole lot to be thankful for. That's so true. I have family that lives up in Alaska as well, and they certainly are hardy. But it's so cool to see how the church is being creative during this time. Warren, we have to take another break. But when we return, Samaritan's Purse in Central Park. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. And as I promised before the break, we have a follow-up 
on a story that we first posted on the Ministry Watch website early in the week, which has been developing throughout the week. So Warren, before we get to the recent developments, can you fill us in on what Samaritan's Purse did in New York? Yeah, a lot of our listeners will remember that uh, Samaritan's Purse sent a mobile hospital to Italy a few weeks ago to help with the COVID-19 crisis there. Now they set up a similar facility in New York's Central Park. Last weekend, uh, using mostly volunteers from the church community in New York, and by the way, that's an interesting story in and of itself, they assembled a 68-bed emergency field hospital uh, for people infected with the coronavirus. Uh, By Tuesday night, the hospital was open and took its first patient on Wednesday morning. I think everyone knows the story of how the coronavirus has hit New York particularly hard. Yeah, that's right. New York has become the epicenter for the virus in this country. The number of cases, probably by the time people listen to this, will already have changed from the numbers that I'm hearing. But uh, the the cases are in the tens of thousands. The death toll for New York alone uh, will be in the thousands. Uh, so Samaritan's Purse sent to New York City uh, the hospital, along with uh, 72 disaster response specialists from all around the country uh, that are working as contractors for Samaritan's Purse. They include doctors, nurses, paramedics, lab technicians, and pharmacists, as well as a technical support crew. And they did that so they wouldn't have to be a burden to the medical teams that are already working in New York. The field hospital that they send, in addition to or as part of the 68 beds, also has 10 intensive care bed units with ventilators. What a remarkable story. Yeah, it is. And, you know, there's a whole lot more to this story that uh, I, that I'm not able to recount here. Uh, I mentioned, for example, how the churches came together to volunteer in the setup. Uh, but, you know, Natasha, imagine this. Tractor trailers leaving North Carolina with this mobile hospital on board, It you know, really in pieces on Saturday morning. They arrive in New York City Saturday afternoon, and by Tuesday night, 68-bed hospital already erected it in place. It was really pretty amazing. And I should add that one of the best accounts that I've read of this story uh, came from Emily Bells at World Magazine. You can find her story by going to ministrywatch.com, and uh, you'll see our story on the front page, but we uh, link through to Emily's story. It's a great boots-on-the-ground account with a lot of great photos as well as how this mobile hospital came together. Well, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has been begging for help. So you would think that what Samaritan's Purse has done would be really welcome, but it sounds like not everyone is pleased. Yeah, that's right. Religion News Service put it this way. It was a culture clash waiting to happen. And it certainly did. Almost as soon as Samaritan's Purse had assembled the 68-bed hospital in Central Park's famed East Meadow, New Yorkers were already sounding the alarm about Samaritan's Purse's leader, Franklin Graham. And I understand that they were concerned about the organization's statement of faith. Yeah, that's right. The 11-point statement of faith uh, declares, among other things, that we believe that marriage is exclusively the union between one genetic male and one genetic female. Now, many New Yorkers were outraged that a Christian organization should require its employees to be well, 
Christians. Uh, in fact, City Council Speaker Corey Johnson said that he found it extremely troubling that Graham's organization was involved in the city's relief effort. And uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio, who has been a champion of LGBTQ rights, was immediately pressed to ensure that Samaritan's Purse was truly consistent uh, with the values and laws in New York City. Now, uh, Franklin Graham, to his credit, didn't run away from the criticism. He readily acknowledged that all Samaritan's Purse employees and contractors, the doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and lab technicians that I mentioned earlier, did in fact have to sign that statement of faith. But he added, we don't discriminate against anybody we help. We provide our services to everybody, regardless of race, ethnicity, religion, and sexual orientation. We don't discriminate, period. Those are Franklin Graham's words. Well, you would think that the officials in New York, after spending so much time on national television begging for help, might at least include a simple thank you in their statement. Well, that's a good point. You might think so. Instead, uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio said that he would send people over from the mayor's office to Central Park uh, just to keep an eye on things. And New York Attorney General um, Letitia James uh, added in a statement, we will remain vigilant to ensure that discrimination does not occur at this facility. But that hasn't really uh, put a damper on Franklin Graham or the efforts of Samaritan's Purse. He said, we hire men and women who believe in Jesus Christ, but we don't force our beliefs on anyone. We don't use our faith to try to force someone to believe the way we believe. Jesus didn't do that. He healed people willingly and freely. That's so beautiful and true. Warren, before we end today, I want to talk a bit about the transparency grades that you posted this week for most of the ministries in the Ministry Watch database. Yeah, on April the 1st, we unveiled a new transparency grade for almost all of the ministries in our database. We're still researching a few of them. We grade ministries on a scale of A to F, just like you might get graded in school, based on how easy it is for donors and the general public to see and evaluate their financial information. And Warren, I know you posted an article on the website fully explaining the process that you use to arrive at that transparency grade, but can you give us a quick description here? Yeah, sure. Uh, we want every ministry to do three things in order to get an A grade. Uh, we want them to get an annual audit, we want them to release their Form 990s to the public, and we want them to be members of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. Pretty simple. Um, sometimes the process is not so easy. Getting an annual audit costs money, and so does joining the ECFA, but it's really clear what it takes to get an A. If you do all three of those things, you will get an A grade from us. And that sounds pretty simple. Yeah, it is. And the good news is that more than 200 of the 500 or so ministries in our database, that's nearly half, get an A grade. And by the way, that includes Samaritan's Purse, one of the ministries that we just mentioned. So what about the others? Well, if you're missing one of those three things, you get a C, um, which is average, not great but not terrible. If you're missing two out of those three, you get a D. And if you don't have any of those three, you get an F. 
Well, I hope you don't have too many Fs there. Well, we don't have that many, uh, but we do have about 20 ministries of the 500 in our database that get an F for transparency. And that's why I strongly recommend uh, to our listeners and any donor to a Christian ministry to go to our website, ministrywatch.com, take a look at that list and see what kind of a transparency grade your favorite ministry gets. If you'd like to read more about the stories we've discussed on today's program, go to ministrywatch.com, and you can find most of them right on the front page. If they're not there, use a search engine to find what you're looking for. Yeah, also, if you're interested in finding out more about the 500 largest Christian ministries in the country, including the newly added transparency rating that I just mentioned, you can also go to ministrywatch.com and look for the bright red search for a ministry button at the top of the page. We have financial information. We have our own financial efficiency rating. And now we have transparency grades for the 500 largest Christian ministries in the country. Ministry Watch is also tracking changes to the membership status of organizations in the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. We bring that information to you each and every Friday in my weekly review column. This week's column is posted right now. Our producers are Rich Rosel and Steve Gandy. We get technical support from Casey Sedeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Yonat Shimron, Christina Darnell, Warren Smith, Jack Jenkins, and Ann Steig. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs. And I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next week, may God bless you.